Hey, everybody. How you doing? I hope you guys are doing well. So good to see you. Come on in, get comfortable, get comfortable. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to see everybody this week. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Boyce Book Club. And uh, give me one second. I'm going to get us set up and ready to go. And we are going to have, uh, we're going to learn tonight. Uh, as you guys know, every single week we get together and do this. And uh, for those of you that are new, be, be prepared to have your world rocked it in tonight. Your world, we will rock it in your world tonight uh, because we are, um, we have been reading Dr. Claude Anderson books for years, literally for years. <laughs> and uh, and I and eventually I'm going to get to my books, uh, Black American Money, uh, The New Black Power, Financial Lovemaking, uh, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. But right now, um, I would rather... Um, uh, I would rather read Dr. Anderson's books first. Why? Well, because he's the goat. He's the goatiest and the smartest scholar uh, that I know. And uh, and uh, I would prefer to start with his stuff before we get to ours or before I get to my stuff. So anyway, I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, feel free to shout out your city as you come in. Let me see. Uh, did I see Trinidad and Tobago? Is that what it, Barry? I see you, Barry. Good to see you, Barry, man. Uh, Errol from Pompano Beach, uh, Ryan Jackson from Sa San Leandro, California. How, Doc, how are you? I'm doing very well, Ryan. Very well. I'm getting, I, I'm under so much, uh, <laughs> there's so much work that goes into the All Black National Convention. Um, conventions are such hard work. I, I am not an event planner at all. I hire event planners, but there's always so much work you have to do. And it costs a lot of money. It's a quarter million dollars. And I wish I could just go ask corporations for the money or government money or something, but we don't take any money from anybody that is going to impede on the mission. So it becomes a little bit tougher, but freedom is not free. So uh, we are okay with paying our own bills uh, because that's important. I think it's important to understand that uh, I can tell you this as a financial expert that uh, that the people who pay the bills are the ones who make the rules. And so uh, if you want to be free and black and you want to do things your way, you're going to have to do it the big boy way. So we pay our own bills. We, we write the check for that whole quarter million. So anybody who buys tickets, anybody who buys vendor spots, anybody who buys sponsor spots, or even if you wanted to buy a ticket and not and you can't make it. Uh, we will give that ticket away to somebody else. Uh, feel free to go to allblacknationalconvention.com. It is now crunch time, crunch time, and we are getting started. And uh, and I'm super excited, though, because it's going to be really awesome. We have a lot of great uh, people coming in. Um, uh, Victory Boyd and her family are coming back to perform this year. You guys love that family so much. And uh, she was performing for Jay-Z last week or something. Like, Victory's a big deal. Akila Nihunda is not performing with us at the convention this year, but I know she's doing a concert in New York. And as you know, Akila Nihunda, is a um, brilliant young hip-hop artist we've been supporting uh, for a while. Uh, she is every bit as good as Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, and all these other rappers out here. The only difference is that uh, the music industry doesn't really uh, absorb people like her as readily because she actually tells women to, you know, do crazy stuff like respect themselves and love their families and take care of their kids and, and uh, you know, and be intelligent, right? So that's not, that's never going to fly because they don't want Black women acting like that in public. So she needs our support and we've been supporting her. So right now, if you happen to live in New York, one thing that, that I did was I bought some tickets. I bought 20 VIP tickets for her concert in New York. So if you go to Akilah's World, A-K-I-L-A-H-S, Akilah'sWorld.com, uh, you can actually, if you, uh, you can find out the address. If you go to her concert this weekend, just tell her Dr. Boy sent you. And if you're in the first 20 people, you will get in free. Uh, I just told Akilah, I said, I'm sorry, I can't make it to support you, but I can buy some tickets. And that's what I did. Uh, my, my goal is to support as many Black-owned businesses as I can, uh, because the, the truth of the matter is that it's really hard out here when you're black. And uh, and so we've been doing that for years. We've supported dozens and dozens of black people doing all kinds of
kinds of stuff. And um, and I feel like it's even though we don't always have all the resources we'd like to have, I figured, look, if I don't try to do my best, then then if we don't do it, then who will? Right. Um, I honestly I'm very skeptical about waiting for white people. I don't think white people like us that much. Um, I, I'm not I don't have any illusion about that. Uh, I, the, a lot of the support that they they claim to give us is very fake. It's like, oh, yeah, we have a diversity program. We'll send you that check eventually. And nobody ever gets the check. Like Black Lives Matter collects one hundred million dollars. Nobody knows where that money went, right? So uh, so I can tell you that in the $20, $25 million that we have raised in the last several years, a, a, a massive percentage of that money goes right back into uh, the things that we're doing. So, uh, so just know that we are doing our absolute best. We ain't doing it perfectly, but we are doing our best and we meet every single day and make plans for the future. And so, uh, so I hope you'll join us at the convention. It's truly, truly an amazing experience. It'll be the best experience of your life. You can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. Also, if you have a black owned business, you can be a vendor or a sponsor, things like that. Uh, so anyway, let me read, let me, let me see who else is here. I see Rhonda Holmes out of New York City. Uh, let me know if you can hear me. Give me a quick yes. Give me a guess if you can hear me. Okay. Let me know if you can hear me. Uh, I want to make sure my audio is coming through good. I see Ver uh, Veronica Elizabeth out of LA. Rhonda, I'm going to be in LA in January, by the way. Um, Rhonda Holmes, uh, New York City. Good to see you. Akilah's in New York City. Uh, let's see. James Keller, B1 Philadelphia. Shamita Pitts. Good to see you. Dr. Boyce from Philly. Uh, Barry, I see Barry from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Fanny. Uh, Jermaine out of Camden, New Jersey. Marlon, uh, I see you out of Chi-Town. Very nice. Tracy Orlando. Uh, let's see. Kay Ferguson Kelly out of uh, Smith, Station, Smith Station at Alabama. And I think that's Patricia out of Newark, New Jersey. Rodney Ward out of San Francisco. Joella out of Frisco. And I see Atlanta and Chicago and a lot of other cities. All right. So let's get started here. Let's jump right in. Um, yeah. Uh, and when I was thinking about, oh, Orlando, I was thinking about like the Airbnb market. I read somewhere that the Airbnb market is not as strong as it used to be. So if anybody talks to you about making extra money by creating an Airbnb, make sure you check the rules of the uh, place that you're going to move. Uh, because my wife and I bought a place in Atlanta that we were going to use as an Airbnb. And we found out that it uh, that it did not, that the place that we were moving to had a, a covenant or something where they would only allow so many Airbnbs. So we had to get on a waiting list and the waiting list was like 85,000 years long. So we didn't Airbnb it. Uh, now we rented the place out, but the truth of the matter is that at some point we may end up selling some of our property because we actually find that uh, that the ROI is much higher by just selling stock options, you know, buying some, you know, Microsoft or Amazon, some safe stock and actually selling the options on the stock. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about that type of stuff, uh, if you go to boycewalkins.com, there's a training called how to make money without working. So feel free to take a look at that on my website, or you can also text the word stock to 31996. If you haven't gotten on the text list, just text stock to 31996. I'll send it to you that way. All right. So let me let you guys know where we are. We've been reading Dr. Claude Anderson's book, uh, The Black History Reader. Uh, as you know, uh, what the Black Core of Three that we believe in in the Black Business School is that Black people, we should educate our own children, create our own jobs, support Black-owned businesses. We have to educate our own uh, create our own jobs, support Black-owned businesses. This is this is a common strategy that a lot of countries are applying now for, for national security reasons. There are a lot of countries now that are saying there are certain things that we cannot import. There are certain things like uh, certain key food items. We cannot import those items. We have to grow them here. Uh, communication. They don't let other people, other entities control their media, okay? So Black people are under a lot of threat. You're very vulnerable for the most part because you have people that are not in your community that don't have your best communities, your community's best interest at heart. 
that are controlling vital resources that your people need, like you know, food and hospitals and medicine and and uh, and and you know, and then controlling media and education and all that. So uh, our national security measure that we believe in, and I don't care if anybody agrees with me or not, I'm not out here trying to make friends. Uh, is uh, I think that we should educate our own children because when I analyze, when we sit around in our Black financial therapy department that we created in the Black Business School, we were analyzing the psychological barriers that are stopping us from building Black wealth. A big reason for the psychological barriers is that other people are developing the psychology of your children. Uh, there are other people who uh, have a vested interest in keeping Black people blind, deaf, dumb, stupid, and crazy. Uh, give me a guess if you've noticed this. Give me a guess if you agree. Uh, you know, when they have millions of your kids going to schools that are not educating them, that are not teaching them how to read, write, and do math, but they come out and somehow they seem to oddly, they seem to oddly understand things like, you know, that there's 57 different genders or something, or that you can have a, that a man can have a baby, you know, just weird stuff. Like I'm not saying that, that maybe they, y'all can, you can think what you want. I'm not judging, but I, I don't want my kid to learn that before they learn how to read and write and do math. Teach them the ABCs first. And then when we get to like, M for men, like as in men can have a baby, then you can maybe throw it in there if you want to, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Believe what you want, but teach my baby how to read. Teach my baby how to do math. Teach my baby how to think critically. Teach my baby how to incorporate information, absorb information, how to be a critical thinker, right? Uh, so uh, I think, again, um, and I, I think this this makes sense. I know a lot of you have understood this and you heard, you've heard me repeat this a lot and I repeat myself a lot because that's one of the things that um, you have to do to let people know how serious you are about this. And I've repeated this 10,000 times. I believe we have to educate our own children, create our own jobs, support black business. I think we have to be a force. We have to force ourselves into the conversation. We must force our agenda into the discussion. We must force what we want ahead of what everybody else wants. That's my kid. You ain't going to push your agenda ahead of my agenda. You're not going to push your vision for the child ahead of my vision. The mama's vision is number one. The daddy's vision is also number one. Everybody else's vision has to come after that, right? So uh, I will tell you, I really think this is um, that those basic little things are the things that you talk about making a power play. In all the analysis I've been doing, that that tells me that the, the leading power plays you can make is to really, really dominate the educational process for your child. Homeschool if you can. If you can't homeschool, maybe you can join a homeschool network. If you can't do that, then it, then homeschool them when they get home. Teach them, you know, just talk to them. Uh, go through things on the internet with them. You know, talk to them about truth versus uh, fact versus fiction. Uh, bring them to book club. We educate millions of Black people through this platform. Bring them to class. You know, if you're in a class in the Black Business School, bring them to class. You know, bring your whole family. We don't, we don't care. One membership will pay for your whole family. Bring your cousin, bring everybody. Uh, another thing too, actually, uh, is uh, my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. One thing that we just created is something we call Each One Teach One. So what we did was we said, what if we could uh, hopefully persuade people that have a, a couple extra dollars to buy 10 books instead of just one and give them away, just give them away to other people so they can learn too, right? Well, so what we did is we, we chopped the price big time. Uh, so 10 books cost over $300. We dropped that price to like $199. So it's a massive discount. So if you want to, if you go to drboycebooks.com, just search. Uh, there's a search box at the top. You can look up each one, teach one. And the each one, teach one uh, discount basically allows you to be in a position where you can either give them away or you can even resell them. That's totally fine. Uh, but feel free to go take a look at that. It's at drboycebooks.com. All right. So let me uh, let me read this to you. And um, and uh, and let's get started here. OK, so I'm reading uh, Dr. Claude Anderson's book, The Black History Reader. And we're starting uh, at question eight. Uh, question eight is where it's on page 25. Dr. Anderson asks, can blacks be a competitive group without group self-interest? Can, can blacks be a competitive group without group self-interest? He says it would be very difficult for black Americans to be a competitive group if they cannot shake 
the unique social conditioning, pay attention now, just talk about this, the unique social conditioning imposed on them during five centuries of slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery. The conditioning that he's referring to, he says that normally a group that has been systematically oppressed for a prolonged period develops a heightened sense of group consciousness and self-interest and closes its ranks against outside threats. They close their ranks. They say, you know, we've gotten our butts kicked. People have been hurting us. We got to close ranks. We got to focus on each other. We can't go taking care of everybody else, right? He says, blacks appear to be different. The 21st generation of black Americans remains bound by lessons learned in slavery that stripped them of a group self-interest. They remain altruistic, altruistic meaning you're a do-gooder for everybody else, dedicated to the welfare of others before themselves. They love everybody, are forgiving, long-suffering, hardworking, self-sacrificing, dedicated to taking care of others first and look for, look for a reward in heaven after death. Um, does anybody remember when that 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 kid went into the church and shot everybody up? Dylan Roof, I think that was his name. Anybody remember Dylan? Remember y'all, y'all remember that? And, well, well, he went and um, shot up the whole church. And remember that within one week, the people from the church that got shot up were in the courtroom screaming, "We forgive you!" from across the room. Like that was that that's a mental illness. That's really a mental illness because there's nothing wrong with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very powerful tool actually forgiveness really heals your heart like i i practice forgiveness all the time believe me if if i sat down and made a laundry list of all the black folks that have hurt my you know hurt me to my core in the last decade i'd be talking all day right so forgiveness uh is a way to take the weight off my soul but the interesting thing about forgiveness i'll tell you and this is just my two cents on this 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 isn't doesn't have to be anybody else's opinion but mine is just because i forgive you doesn't mean i have to let you know i forgive you like, if I forgive you, I'm not going to go and look up your, try to find your number or hunt you down just so I can say, you, you know, I forgive you, right? You know, I forgive you, right? I, I don't I don't need to do that, right? I, I just forgive you and I move on. Like So my sign of forgiveness isn't going to be me screaming across the courtroom as somebody who murdered my loved ones, screaming, I forgive you. My forgiveness is, uh, well, you know what? I Instead of me hunting you down, stalking you, suing you, kicking your butt or whatever for what you did, you just might not hear from me no more. Right. So I might forget. I, I forgive and forget. I will forgive you. And then I might forget you because I need to uh, because you may have, in my mind, become some sort of virus or a toxin that I needed to eliminate from my life. Do you understand what I mean? Right. So so I think forgiveness is wonderful. Forgiveness is good. I encourage you to to embrace forgiveness. Right. Because it just it's real hard to carry around uh, envy and hate and anger and revenge in your soul. Like that just, that's a heavy weight to carry. It'll keep you from accomplishing your goals. Don't get caught up in that. I know that the world's built that way, but that's not, that's just not a good energy to carry, but I'm not going to go out of my way to tell you, I forgave you because maybe I, maybe I kind of enjoy the idea that you, that you're worried if I might run up on you and you know whatever, right? I don't know. But either way though, I've moved on. That's the point you move on. Right. Uh, and so anyway, um, so Dr. Anderson says that we we tend to take forgiveness to another level. Um, a lot of this comes from the way that mind control has worked. Uh, before Black people were allowed to go to school and read, and, and before we were taught these false ideas in the public school system, there were other influencers, uh, you, the, the, sort of the original social media influencers, before there was social media, uh, were like the pastors. And so what they would do is they would go to 
the pastors and they would interpret the Bible for them. They would say, well, we know you can't read that well, so let us read it for you and we'll tell you what the Bible says. So they'll say, okay, on page on Deuteronomy 645, it says, love your master and you get to go to heaven if you love your master, right? How convenient, right? Well, you know, that's what capitalism does. If you're not a person that seeks answers, if you are a person that follows orders, then you're going to listen to what they say because they, they happen to be able to tell you the things that are going to make you a good slave because being a good slave is how they make their money, right? Controlling you without actually having to fight you is really the goal. As, I, as we were talking about last time, uh, you know, the war against the black male in particular, and, and the black woman to some, I mean, they, the way they destroy the image of the black woman is horrible. The way black women are treated is unbelievable, but also the war against the black male is so such a sinister war that it begins before the baby's even born, right? The way they deal with the problem is they don't solve the problem they solve, they eliminate you before you become a problem. Do you understand what I mean? Right? So, so when my mother was 17 years old and she was pregnant with me and they said, you're poor, you're black, you can't take care of this baby. You might as well just terminate the pregnancy, right? Just, just terminate. And then you don't have to worry about the little Negro, right? And so then, then there is no Boyce Watkins. There is no guy who 40, 50 years later is doing the things I'm doing, saying the things I'm saying. And apparently I've become a dangerous black man for reading Cla Claude Anderson books. I told y'all Facebook and Instagram literally wiped me from the face of the earth. I can't, I, I was stunned. I went to Texas this week for the um uh, Wealth and Power Conference. Uh, by the way, they did a great job. It's a group called uh, the, the, the Conversations.tv. And uh, I was at the conference and one of the students came to me literally he said dr voice i don't understand what's going on i said what do you mean he said i typed your name in facebook and the post disappeared and i said okay well did you try it again he said yeah i tried it again and the post disappeared again he said the third time i typed b watkins instead of voice watkins and it didn't disappear and i said whoa i didn't know it was that deep i didn't know that i was important enough that they would literally ban my name my name is a banned word on facebook and instagram it's the craziest thing so my wife and i noticed this today so it just it just happened today that my wife and i happened to go viral because i said something about my wife that i thought was a compliment but you know how the negro naysayers are on the internet they'll find anything you say and try to twist it or whatever so they twisted it thinking i was insulting my wife or saying my wife is ugly anybody who's seen my wife knows it she might be a lot of things but ugly ain't one of them for sure but anyway, you know, so I went in, I was like, no, 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 I wasn't saying she was ugly, but it went viral. Like this thing had like thousands of comments in like 30 minutes or something. And I'm like, oh Lord. So, so anyway, uh, so, so I just went in to kind of clarify what I was saying. I was like, no, no, no. I was saying that I like the fact that I married a woman in her forties because I didn't want to marry an idiot or a kid. And I like having somebody who is a great partner in crime. I would not choose my wife just based on how she looks. That's what I was saying. I wasn't saying my wife was ugly. I was like, well, of course she's not ugly. I mean, why would I marry an ugly person? I was saying, Saying that you can't trust a big button to smile. You get what I mean? Y'all give it a, do y'all understand what I mean? Or that, that didn't sound ambiguous, did it? I, I hope it didn't. So I, I tried to explain. It was on this site called Spiritual Word, and they have millions of followers and stuff. And uh, and so anyway, I went in and I explained what I said. And do you know that nobody could see my comment? My comment was literally ghosted. It was like ghosted because it came from an account that had the words Boyce Watkins in it. Or I wrote them, I wrote my name Boyce Watkins in there too. And it literally, so Facebook does that. I mean, they take shadow banning to this whole other level. So try it, try, do that experiment. If you have a Facebook page, I don't have a Facebook page. We have Blag Enough now. That's our social media platform. You can join, just go to Blag Enough, B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com, B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com. Anyway, uh, so, so we decided to just kind of move away from Facebook. 
but try it. Go to Facebook or Instagram and say, I was in the book club with Dr. Boyce Watkins today. And then see, and then ask your friend, say, can you see this comment? And I'd love to hear you come back and tell me, like, did your friend see it? Because this person told me that it literally was gone. So anyway, this is what's interesting, right? This is There's a history to this. There's a history to why, um, you know, a Black person, a Black man who encourages free thinking is just considered to be dangerous. There's nothing dangerous about me. I've never killed anybody. I've never, you know, been arrested. I've never uh, plotted to overthrow the government. I've never, you know, planted a bomb in somebody's house. I've never carried a gun to go kill, hurt somebody. I've never done any of these things. So what makes me dangerous? What what, what makes Dr. Claude Anderson dangerous? He's a 90-year-old man who loves everybody. What makes him dangerous? How is he? What makes Louis Farrakhan dangerous? Has anybody, give me a yes or no, yes or no. Has anybody heard of anything in the last 30, 40 years that Farrakhan has done where he has hurt or attacked anybody, right? Now, now you can go back, you know, I know this controversy about the whole Malcolm thing, right? They were young guys and they got, they had a conflict. That's another conversation. I'm talking about since 1975, <laughs> 50 years, right? Can, can anybody, right? So my point is to say that uh, that it's fascinating to me how they'll define what a dangerous black man is. And to them, a dangerous black man is an intelligent black man. Uh, a dangerous black man is a free thinking black man. I was called dangerous simply because I said, I think black people should vote for whoever they want to. I don't think they have to be Democrats or have to be Republicans. There's nothing threatening about that statement, but it's seen as dangerous, right? So this is this comes from slavery. That's my point. This all comes from slavery, right? Uh, and it's not just me. They do it to a lot of people, right? Uh, and, and people far more important than me. Farrakhan is far more important than I am uh, by, uh, by 80 fold, right? So, so so but the point of the matter is that it's interesting though because they will promote the hell out of a rapper who is promoting drug addiction uh, a rapper who is rapping about murdering black people i mean think about this this is the craziest thing they will they will the the politicians will sit down and have conversations important meetings with rappers who in their songs have rapped about raping women killing black people like a Klansman, like KKK members. If a white guy says it it's it's terrible it's scary it's oh my god black lives matter a black rapper says it it's like, oh, that song was so lit. And I'm like, well, did you hear what he said? He said, I'm going to kill your grandma and throw a body in the, in the trunk of my car. That does not disturb you. And this speaks to what how brainwashing works, how we become so desensitized to Black pain and Black suffering that we don't even see the hypocrisy. We don't even, we, we, just, we just look right past it because we're used to the idea of Black people being seen as a subordinate class. So again, this goes back to slavery. So what Dr. Anderson says here on page 26 of the Black History Reader, his books are at powernomics.com, by the way. He says that Black people are trained to remain altruistic, dedicated to the welfare of others before themselves. They love everybody, are forgiven, forgiving, long-suffering, hardworking, self-sacrificing, dedicated to taking care of others first and look for a reward in heaven after death. They told the pastors that to just tell the Negroes that if they uh, behave, if they obey their master, they're going to go to heaven. And that's what literally to this day, there, there are, are so many people who seem to still believe that today, that mindset has resulted in blacks who believe this is the connection between slavery. And now he says today, that mindset has resulted in blacks who believe that because of their long status as sufferers, they ought to be the moral conscience of the nation and the world. Few black ministers tell their congregations that is actually against biblical instructions to sacrifice themselves, abandon their homes, families, and race to save others, regardless as to whether they are immigrants, ethnics, homeless, impoverished, gay, or any other fabricated minority. Blacks carry, this is probably what got me in trouble on Facebook, right? Just reading Dr. Hansen's book. I, I got to talk to him. I'm saying it's your fault. All right. Blacks carry the moral and civil rights banner for all people. Remember how many times have you heard civil rights leaders 
sort of advocating for everybody using this sort of taking the just like they do with hip-hop and then when hip-hop started off real and conscious and relevant and black then it becomes sort of this commercialized phenomenon that's sort of representing everything like people wrapping up to get you to buy cereal and and fried chicken right uh well the same thing is true with the civil rights movement they commercialized that and before before long you had uh members of the congressional black caucus who would be invoking the civil rights struggle to explain why um you know corporations should be allowed to hire more gay people right it just we're, we're like crazy stuff like that right so let me keep going Blacks carry the moral and civil rights banner for all people, while most people look out for themselves and ignore the needs of the black masses. In a race-based society, every group is competing to win in their own group self-interest. As a group, by not having self-interest and being altruistic, blacks lose by default. They are poor and powerless. Their labor and culture have enriched nearly every group on earth except their own. With a sense of self-interest, a group can recognize competitive advantages, opportunities, and ways to protect and build on what it has what it has that is valuable. Success will only come when they can unify and compete in the best interest of the group. Okay. All right. So this is what Dr. Anderson says. This is page 26. So the Black History Reader, the cool thing about this book is that Dr. Anderson uh, answers questions. He goes question by question, and he will just sort of state the question and then give the answer. This is uh, probably one of the most important history books that your children will ever read. Uh, Powernomics.com is his website. I hope you guys will go support him. All right. Question nine. What is the difference between a Black American and an African American? Isn't that interesting? This is an interesting question because just this week, my wife, we, you know, my wife and I do a podcast called Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia. Uh, if you go to uh, like Spotify or Apple, you can find it there as well. And just look up my name, Boyce Watkins, you'll find it there. And one thing that we were talking about was, did anybody here, I don't know if any of y'all saw this, give me a yes or no, you saw this. Did you see that how, uh, not Howard, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard just hired a black woman as their uh, first, I think the first black or female president. I think she was like a, a twofer in that regard. I, I think so. I don't think they've ever had a black president. I don't think they've ever had a woman, which good for her, right? She's a very smart lady. Uh, her name is um, Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay, she's the cousin of the writer Roxanne Gay. Did anybody hear about that? Let me know if you guys heard anything about this or not. Um, but anyway, so Harvard just hired their first black president. And one of the hard questions that we had to ask that, and I had to ask it delicately so it didn't sound like I was just hating on this amazing lady for getting this amazing job that she clearly deserved. I'm sure she's just as qualified as anybody else who's ever had the job. Is I said, um, I first I started with a specific incident in her past that bothered me, that concerned me a little bit. Now, so what, here's what happened, and I'm gonna explain how this connects to the bigger issue and what I think Dr. Anderson's gonna allude to in terms of some differences between the African experience in America versus the African American experience. Again, I love the diaspora. Love my friends in Africa, went to Ghana, been to Nigeria, South Africa, Botswana. I'm going back again. I think that connecting with Africa is going to be very important for our future. Uh, in fact, I think our children should learn, your children should learn all the countries in Africa, how big they are, all that. Africa is a wonderful place. But let's talk about also what the African-American experience is and how we can make sure it doesn't get diluted. So here's what bothered me about uh, the Harvard presidents um, being chosen for the job. So uh, there was an African-American couple that, uh, oh gosh, uh, I don't have their names in front of me, but there's an African-American couple and my wife happened to know them because uh, one of the brothers that, uh, or the brother that, that was in this marriage, they were both at Harvard. They were the first African-American deans in the history of Harvard, which right there, that's an embarrassment that it took you, you know, hundreds of years to pick, you know, one African-American to be a dean. Like, that's kind of crazy, right? Ronald Sullivan, thank you. And he has a wife that's a brilliant attorney. Please state her name if you, if you remember, because that way I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. But brilliant people. 
my wife happened to know the family because my wife is from Gary, Indiana. And uh, and and he was a lifeguard with my wife's brother. My brother-in-law and Ronald were lifeguards together way back in the day. And so I happen to know what happened to Ronald and his wife. So here's what happened to Ronald and his wife. I think her name is Stephanie, if I'm not mistaken. But and she kept she has her her, her own last name, not, not his, but uh, smart, smart black people. So Stephanie and Ron had a situation where uh, Ron, because he's such a great attorney, he got invited to join the legal team of the notorious Harvey Weinstein. And if you know anything about the law, the one thing about the law, one of the principles they hold dear is that everybody deserves an adequate defense, even if everybody knows you're guilty, even if you, you know, people think that you should be under the jail, everybody deserves a defense. So doing what he does as an attorney, and he's done he's done all kinds of work all across the spectrum. Uh, you know, Ronald gets invited to join the legal team. So here's what happened. So in the era of this extreme wokeness and the Me Too movement and everything else, the uh, feminists and the liberals at Harvard become deeply, deeply offended that this black man is simply doing his job. They became offended. They said, what are you trying to say he's innocent? He said, no, I'm not trying to say he's innocent. I'm trying to say he deserves a defense. What, whose side are you on? You know, and, and, so you know how it is. Like they, they love you as a black person as long as you're doing what they tell you to do. The minute that you stop doing what they tell you to do and start doing what you tell you to do, that's when they start getting mad, right? You, you, you call it cancel culture, maybe whatever, right? Like for example, I've seen a, uh, a, a a white person who is a liberal call a black person a sellout because that black person is a Republican. But then I've seen a white person who's a Republican call a black person a sellout because that black person's a Democrat. Now, if you switch the parties, if the black Democrat became a Republican, then the white Republican would stop calling him a sellout and start calling him an ally and, and basically tell him he's a he's a good Negro. He gets the good Negro sticker. Right. If the white if the black Republican stops being a Republican and becomes a Democrat, well, then the white Democrat starts saying, oh, that's my buddy. You're such a hero. We love you. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you follow what I'm saying? So so the point of the matter that and this is what deeply offends me. And I hope other I'm, I'm explaining this to intelligent black people because I'm hoping y'all I, I I, I'm assuming a lot of you get what I, where I'm coming from on this is is that it ain't it ain't be, it ain't my skin color that's really driving whether or not you're aligning with me as a black person. The only extent to which you're appreciating me is the extent to which I am serving your interests. What I want has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to define me as a good Negro or a bad one. Give me a yes if you follow what I'm saying. Like what me me telling you what I want is not even part of the conversation. It's all about what you want. Right. You're, you're no different from the man like those. You ever see those little uh, immature men who will go up to a girl, a woman. Hey, baby, you're looking good, girl. You look good in that dress. And then she's like, thank you. But I, I have a boyfriend. And he's like, oh, you're ugly, bitch. You're ugly, raggedy. You're, you're 304. You're raggedy. Ho. Right. You see. Right. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. One minute she was a beautiful princess. And the next minute she's a she's a raggedy hoe. Two minutes ago, you were calling her a queen. Now you calling her a skate. Like, what are you talking about? This I mean, oh, I get it. It's like her. The definition that you use to define this woman is based on whether or not she's serving your interests. You, it ain't got nothing to do with her. This is not genuine concern for that person. This is you trying to get what you want and lying and manipulating your way into getting into her pants or whatever it is you're trying to get, right? So that's the thing. Politically speaking, they're constantly trying to get in our pants.
and they will say Black Lives Matter. Anybody remember that during the, <laughs> the pandemic when they, they had those white people wearing dashikis and they were getting on the, on one knee and like Nancy Pelosi and all those people were like doing all these African rituals to, to like show their love and respect for black people. And I was like, I don't need you getting on your knees. Just just write, just cut the damn check. Just pay me my reparations. I don't need, you ain't got to get on your knees to write a check, Nancy. Just, just do what you're supposed to do and we'll be okay, right? So uh, so anyway, uh, so so going back to, uh, to, to this whole conversation about Harvard and, and, and this president. So with this black man, Ronald Sullivan and his wife, Stephanie, I don't have her last name in front of me, but her, her first name was Stephanie, brilliant attorneys, both of them, uh, first African-American deans ever at Harvard. Um, they, Stephanie Robinson, is that, that it? Thank you. Thank you, Regina. I appreciate that. God, I, I need to be prepared for this stuff, but I never know which direction God is going to take me in these conversations. I hope it, I hope that this works for y'all. All right. So I, I'll try to keep it focused. Sometimes my ADHD kicks in. I talk crazy, but, um, but anyway, so Stephanie Robinson and, uh, her husband, Ronald Sullivan, uh, basically get lynched by the liberals. That's what it is. They did. They basically did a, a, a Harvard, uh, high, highly educated lynching where they literally they were vandalizing their building they were terrorizing them they were harassing them uh, at, at an incredible level they were suppressing their academic freedom they were suppressing their freedom of speech they were behaving no no better than a clan than clansmen they were just highly educated clansmen that's what that's what I see right and eventually um they both got removed from their post they got removed as deans now they did not lose their job. Right. And, and and this is the thing that's interesting. This is where me and my wife came in and said, OK, we're about to be the crazy gangster cousins that are going to come in and say what we really think that you want to say. Because we look at Ronald, we're like, you're from Gary. We know you sound you sound very formal and official. And, and they give a nice statement. If you watch their video, they're very professional, much more so than I. But I don't have to be professional because I don't work for anybody and, and I never will. Uh, but, but for them, I get it. Like, OK, you got to You're a black person who has to keep your job. So so you have to be, you know, sort of uh, balanced and measured and articulate when really you're trying to say that was some B. Yes, that was some crap y'all did. That was messed up. It was racist. It was insanely, pathetically abusive for you to do that, for you to let, fire me or take me from my post, remove me from my post, just because I did something that every scholar is supposed to be able to do, which is to have academic freedom and every human being is supposed to have freedom of speech. And you're at Harvard for all places, for God's sake. Oh my God, I was stunned. In fact, I researched it and found out that Harvard is ranked, I mean, I, I'm stunned by this. The, this the wokeness got so bad that Harvard is ranked among the worst in the nation when it comes to academic freedom, when it comes to like basic freedom of speech. You you would think Harvard, right? You know what I mean? Like you're thinking Harvard, smart people and all that. Even smart people fall for the nonsense, right? So so here's the deal. So the reason I was concerned about this black president at Harvard, Claudine Gay is her name, is that I looked up Claudine's background. Whenever I want to understand people, that black people, especially they get certain positions, I read their whole bio and I say, where did you come from? What did your parents do? What values were instilled in you when you were a child? If you ever want to understand a person, don't just understand the apple. You got to learn about the tree. So I go and I read about your parents and who they were and what they poured into you. So here's the background of Claudine. Nothing against her, nothing negative, nothing terrible. Amazing scholar. Uh, got her degree in economics, her PhD in, uh, in uh, political science. Super smart. Harvard, uh, Stanford, all that, all that stuff. So. The interesting thing, though, is that she's not African-American. And I knew that. Like, as soon as she got the job, I said, I bet you she's not an African-American. Now, give me a guess if you have noticed that in some cases, there is the use of a Black person from another country as a diversion from them being forced to actually hire or promote an African-American. 
Do you do you ever notice that? Do you notice like and, and let me give you some examples to help you help you see this more clearly. Um, I, I looked at uh, Claudine Gay at Harvard, Haitian. She's not African American. I thought about Kamala Harris. Uh, she's pretty. She's as, as every bit as Indian as she is. She's not even African American. Indian and, and Jamaican, right? Um, I thought about uh, another one. Uh, uh, the woman that got this on the Supreme Court, uh, Katanji Jackson Brown. Katanji. My sister's name is Tangi. She's Doctor Latanja Watkins. So my my sister's Tangi. We call her Tangi. So that's how I remember her name, Katanji Jackson Brown. Uh, Katanji Jackson Brown. I think her family was from another country. Nothing against that. Nothing. Nothing anti or anything. This is just an observation. Here's another observation I want you to pay attention to. All three of those women. Y'all answer this for me. Is any one of those women married to a black man? Yes or no? Is Katanji Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court married to a black man? Yes or no? Claudine Gay. She married to a black man? Yes or no? Kamala Harris, is she married to a black man? Yes or no? Oh, we could talk about Kareem Jean-Pierre, the, the White House press secretary. I think she's married to a white woman. No, again, no, not not hating on who people marry. I'm not saying you can't marry a person who's not black. So if you got your white husband next to you, if he if he's cool and he gets it, he's welcome to the party. If I see him, I will give him a hug, too. So this is not anti nothing. I want to make that clear. Right. I got people in my family that buried out, you know, the, the, you know what people can do what they want. I'm not judging. I'm talking. I'm not even talking about the, the ladies or their spouses. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about something as elementary as who you can choose to love. What I'm talking about is the politics of it all and the fact that I believe perhaps I sound crazy and radical for saying this, but I believe that if any of these women was married to a straight up African American male, somebody from South Side Chicago or the no North Side of Philly, they would not have the positions that they have right now. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. If, they, if any of those women have been married, like my poor wife, I said, you know, do you understand that you walked in the danger zone when you chose to marry Dr. Boyce Watkins? We have all the credentials. You check our background. We got all the credentials that, that all these other people have. But, but if, if these, you know, the minute my wife's university saw who she was married to, oh, they said, oh, we've identified you. You're one of them. You're not a house Negro. You're not the light-skinned house Negro that we thought you were. Oh, you're really trying to be a black woman right now. You're trying to stick with a black man. You know, you're, you're you know, you're, you're on a sinking ship. You're, you're investing in a losing stock. Right? Who sticks with who sticks with black men when you can marry up? You could have got you a nice white guy and, and, and rose up the corporate ladder. So so here's the thing. I'm just saying I think we can pay attention to that without it being anti-white or anti-anybody. But I think that there is a distinction between. Um, a black person from another country and how they're treated versus the black person who is African-American. Also, I think that who you marry makes a difference because I don't think this country is in favor of black families. And here's another little piece about that president at Harvard. I hate to say it like this because I just sound like such a mean guy when I say this. But one thing that disturbed me was that when that African-American couple was going through the shit I mean, getting harassed by that university, being abused racially, being subject to horrific discrimination, despite the fact that they are as qualified as you can get, or as hardworking as they come, as articulate as you can be, as professional as you as as, as the day is long. Th that president was siding with the people that were attacking them. 
That's what offended me. I said, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that not only did are you benefiting from the fact that we can rise up corporate ladders by marrying white people and being from another country and all that. I'm not holding that against you, but you literally stood with the people that were violating the academic freedom and the freedom of speech of an African-American couple that had already made history at that campus by being the first African-Americans to ever get that job. Shame on you. Shame on you. It would have been bad enough if you, if you kept your mouth shut. It's even worse when you are you being used as a weapon against African-American people. You know, so 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 I think my point is that, and this is and this is said, I'm setting up the precursor before we read what Dr. Anderson has to say about this distinction. I literally have no idea what he's going to say. As I'm reading these books to you, I literally don't know what's in all these books. I haven't read them yet. So part of the reason I'm doing this book club is so I can read them too, is um, is I think that we have to start thinking more deeply about this. I really do. I think that we got to stop and say, okay, who's really our friend and who's not? And, and all skin folk and kin folk. And uh, and I'm and, and I'm not saying that these people aren't qualified at all. I'm not even trying to attack this lady. I am trying to say though that you know I need to know who who's really who's really going to help us move forward and who's not. And what should we celebrate versus what we should not celebrate? Because that's the interesting thing. They will tell you to celebrate something when there's really nothing to celebrate. Oh, you celebrate the fact that we have the first black woman in this. Why? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? How many African-American people is, are going to now have senior positions in that institution because she's here? How many black communities are really going to benefit at a massive on a massive scale? Because what does this do for me other than just give me something nice to look at? And, and, and when you make that distinction, um, that's when you start getting you start going from the symbolism to the actual substance. You start looking at the dang substance. And there's not a lot of substance in a lot of this stuff. OK, so so let me read what Dr. Anderson says. Um, let me, let me calm myself down so I can start reading here. I do feel passionate about this. Some of y'all might've saw the sweat under my arms because I'm sweating now. Cause I, so I need to calm down. All right. Question nine, a black history reader. What is the difference between a black American and an African-American? The terms black American and African-American are not equivalent or interchangeable, although they are generally, but erroneously considered as such by whites and some native blacks. Black Americans are born in America and are descendants of slaves. African-American is a term that most accurately applied to a person born in Africa that has relocated or migrated to America. In reality, each term is derived from totally different cultural, language, political, religious, and racial experiences. Any group is a sum total of its unique experiences which dictate the way group members see themselves in this world. 99% of all the Black people in America are descendants of slaves who were born in America. Their only connections to Africa are the oral stories told to them by their parents and grandparents, which faded with each generation. They have no personal connection to Africa and not one country on the African continent ever sent a single vessel to this country to rescue any of the millions of blacks who were kidnapped, enslaved, killed, and psychologically crippled. Hmm. Enslaved Blacks in America were decultured and forced to devise their own survival skills and attitudes. These enslaved persons and their offspring were stripped of everything and forced to adapt and survive under the most humane conditions for over 360 years. During that period of time, they developed a blended culture and emerged as Black Americans, no longer Africans. Black Americans are totally unlike any other humans on this earth. They are a combination of cultures and uncommon experiences. Therefore, the group is special and exception. Some avoid the term black because they do not want to identify with the negative and evil historical historically associated, sorry, with the with the negative and evil historically associated with the word by whites and other groups. Some blacks shun self-identification by color because it means being less 
than a full human. Interesting. Let me let me give. Okay, being uh, sorry means being less than a full human, stripped of all honor and subjected to all forms of white rule and power. They have allowed others to frame their thinking of the label or the word black. Those who avoid blackness, in effect, have surrendered their greatest strength and badge of identity. Black Americans are unique. The enslavement process stripped blacks of their Africanness and forced them to forge together their own unique culture. It is so unique that it is copied, mimicked, and appropriated by non-black people all over the world. Many blacks, non-blacks, and especially conservatives prefer the term African-American. It is a term that removes race from a race-based dilemma and redirects focus to culture. African-American is a less specific term than black, just as substituting terms like minority, people of color, and poor people is less threatening than the term black. That is true. Man, that is so true. Do you know how many people told me uh, when I started the black business school <laughs> that I should not call it the black business school? I, I got told that all the time. Uh, do you know that there was a black-owned hotel in um, Washington, D.C., where we we made a deal with them. We said, hey, we want to have our convention at your hotel. They said, yeah, we've got plenty of space. We'd be happy to have you. And uh, and then they said, what's your convention going to be called? We said, oh, it's called the All Black National Convention. Suddenly, this hotel that had nothing but free space, it was happy to have us. <clears throat> Suddenly, they were booked up. It was a, a Black-owned hotel. I kid you not, Black-owned hotel in D.C., it's, they 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 were like they were like well we're booked next year and I said okay well when are you gonna have vacancy I, I said because I I saw what, where it was going so I said let me do a test so when when are you gonna be can we do next year oh no we're we're booked up until 2026 it was something crazy like that and I was like wow okay so I guess being black um we're paying a price for that so so there's a lot of negative stigma uh, attached to the word black. Right. So a lot of people will use terms like people of color and minority uh, to make to sort of shrink yourself or blend yourself in or make yourself less threatening. Right. No different from a black man who doesn't hold his head up high and his chest out. He walks in kind of like this so that he doesn't appear to be a scary threat. Right. That's what I think. When I think about think about this, when you think about the word minority, minority sounds like it sounds very small. It sounds like if you're a minority, like you go to church and you're whispering and like nobody really knows you're there. Because you want to make your own feel comfortable. Like, that's what I think about when I think of minority. Right. And then we think about people of color. It's like, what the hell does that mean? You know, like, what does that, that's when you get watered down with everybody who's from India, Asia, et cetera. Right. So, effectively, what if you look at a lot of universities, for example, when I was looking into Harvard and looking into this president, I said, how many African Americans has Harvard promoted uh, and given tenure to? How many African Americans have, you know, have they hired, things like that? Um, I couldn't find a lot of data on African-Americans. I saw a lot of data on people of color and I saw some data on black people. Uh, but when they say black, it, it's different from when we say black here. If we talk about black American, uh, that's an American person, a descendant of slaves, et cetera, most likely. Right. When you talk about black in general in their space, it comes from uh, the, you know, from from just the whole world, like any black, anybody that's black from anywhere on the planet even if they hate African-Americans. And uh, and one thing that Dr. Anderson, uh, I believe he gets to this, and he, he talks about this in a minute, so I'm gonna keep reading so we can get to this, is that let's just be honest. There are some people who, are, who look like us from other countries who are trained and brainwashed before they get here to avoid us, right? Think about this. The only exposure they've had to us is this horrible music that they promote. Uh, we don't pay for the promotion. We don't promote this around the world. I went to Iceland this summer. Uh, I told you guys about that. And when I was in Iceland, I was at the basketball court and they were playing uh, 
black music and all of it was like the most ratchet, vile, disgusting, violent, over-sexualized crap that you would ever hear in your life. I know that if I'm a decent person and I have good values and I love my family and I want to be educated and I want to be successful and I don't want to go to jail and all I hear about your people is what I'm hearing from some of these rappers, I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want to be around people who think that it's okay to who, who think it's okay to promote drugs to children. I don't want to be around people who think it's okay to sleep with everything that moves or people that want to go and kill each other. I don't want to be around I don't want to be around any of that. Right. Or people that want to be ignorant. I don't want to be around any of that. And this obviously is not who we are, but this is how they promote who we are. Again, I, I make that point to say you cannot find a white version of a Cardi B. You cannot find a white version of Megan The Stallion. There is no white version of of some of these other rappers that are out here uh, that are equally famous. Sure, there are white people who try to imitate the Cardi B's, but they're not as famous. They're not as successful as she is. Right. So this is a specific way that they promote you and they don't promote other people like this. They don't promote. There is no Asian Cardi B who can sell out a whole stadium. There is no uh, Arab version of Megan The Stallion who, who, who must twerk on stage within the next 10 minutes. With white people, you get things like Taylor. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is a skinny little white girl who makes a billion dollars singing about love and her boyfriends and whatever the hell else she sings about. Right. So so this is something that um, is, is, is a little bit of a, of, a, of a bastardization of us because this is all driven by capitalism, because what happens is that when you're growing up black and you're seeing that the only people that have the money are the people that are ratchet, ignorant, crazy, stupid, and ridiculous, then that makes you say, well, something must be wrong with me. I, I just want to I just want to take care of my family. Uh, that I, I you know, I give credit to Charlemagne the God. He made a comment today. I thought it was hilarious and I love it. He said um, he says, stop trying to rap. We need more electricians. And uh, and I, I thought that was the best statement because that's true. You need people in your community that can build things and develop things, not people that are simply out here trying to be entertainers and athletes all the time. That's like 10 million people applying for five jobs. That does not work. It does not lead to success. And you end up losing trillions of dollars in potential because uh, what you spend your time on is very important. So if I spend all my time trying to be the next Drake and I never make a nickel making albums and, and then during that process, I'm not taking care of my kids. I'm not investing in any other entity. I'm not learning any other skill. Well, then guess what? I'm I'm not going to be as inadequate of a father as I could be normally. I'm not going to be a good member of the community in terms of bringing real skill to the table. All I can do if we show up and say, let's build the community. All I can do is get there and bust a rap and not, God bless my rapper friends. I know a lot of rappers and I love them and I respect them and everything else, but you got to be able to bring something else to the family uh the family reunion than just another rap song we have enough of those we have an oversupply of 45 50 year old rappers we need more 45 year old fathers more 45 year old husbands more 45 year old electricians more 45 year old plumbers more 45 year old doctors more 45 year old business owners that's what we need that's what we need okay now some of you are asking uh, about the the title of the book the name of this book is uh, is the Black History Reader, the Black History Reader. The website is powernomics.com. That's powernomics.com. Now, my book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. You can get a copy at drboycebooks.com. If you go to drboycebooks.com, and uh, also we have the Each One Teach One program. So uh, I don't want to teach any students at all. I don't teach students. I only teach teachers. Um, I need uh, Black intelligence to spread like a good virus, right? So I want you to, if you feel the the, the, the passion behind this, uh, go start sharing this information with other people. So if you go to Dr 
drboysbooks.com. Look up each one, teach one in the search box, which is in the upper left-hand corner. And uh, you can get a massive discount and buy 10 copies at once if you want. And just give them away like magazine copies. Like, you know, that's what my wife and I did at our wedding. We didn't take any gifts. We gave away copies of Powernomics because I said, I want to wear who I am on my sleeve. I want to wear my blackness on my sleeve. I want everybody to know who I am. I ain't apologizing to nobody for nothing because I ain't doing nothing wrong to hurt nobody. All I'm trying to do is help. And so this is who I am, like it or love it. Either way, if you don't like it, then fine, go the other direction because this ain't. I'm not changing that, okay? So anyway, uh, let, me, let me keep reading here. All right, so Dr. Anderson says, the term African-American, I can't. O-B-F-U-S-C-A-T-E-S. I'm so embarrassed right now because the word obfuscate does not come out of my mouth very well. So you got to forgive me for that. Um, it obfuscates, dilutes, and erases the unique history of Blacks in this country. Blacks should never be equated to African-Americans or other groups within minority classes. Using the term African-American is an example of changing Black problems to a minority solution. Since all life began in Africa in the broadest sense, the label African-American can be applied to any human from any place on Earth that migrates to America. Once they establish residence in America, they can legitimately claim to be African-American. Black exceptionality is a fundamental key to unlock the doors leading to group self-empowerment, recognition, respect, and appreciation for their contributions to the socioeconomic development of this nation to which they are entitled as a special people. They must distinguish themselves by claiming their exceptionality as Black Americans, just as Europeans in the 1680s distinguished themselves by officially labeling themselves as white Americans instead of pilgrims or Puritans. The label white distinguished them thereafter, Due to the fact that the masses of Blacks in America are totally ignorant of Africa, they identify with the African-American label only out of love and respect for the Black people residing on the African continent. In physical and genetic makeup, they are as far from being Black, being African Blacks as they are from being European whites. There are enormous differences in the experiences of a Black person born and raised in America versus an African born and raised on the African continent. Native Blacks in America were stripped of their Africanness centuries ago when their ancestors were transported to the Americas. It was at that point that their differences began. Blacks were forced to create and fabricate a culture that blended the various African tribal backgrounds with the American culture they found here. Uh, being enslaved in America was a very different experience than being colonized on the African continent. African Blacks were not stripped of their culture, languages, families, relatives, homeland, communities, religion, and sense of peoplehood. Where, on the other hand, Black Americans were stripped in all respects, reduced to the level of field animals, and treated as disposable property. Oof, okay. He makes a strong argument right there. Um, this is page 29, a Black history reader. Uh, Dr. Anderson's books are at powernomics.com. Uh, I'm going to say this. I don't think you have to, uh, to respect Dr. Anderson, I don't think you have to agree with every single thing that he says, okay? I think it's okay. If you heard something and you say, you know, I don't know if I feel as strongly about it as he does, just like every other human being, he's got his biases. I have mine. You have yours. We all do. Right. So I encourage you to uh, take it with, with that grain of salt and say, OK, this is the part I like. This is the part I have to kind of process a little bit. Um, you know, I think that you can look at things from different perspectives. Uh, I don't feel quite as strongly about the disconnect from Africa as Dr. Anderson says, but I do see a lot of elements of truth in the in the sense that, uh, number one, I think you can love and respect and connect to Africa. Like, I think that everybody who has a Black baby should take their child to Africa just to see how enormous and extraordinary Africa is. Africa is going to be the winner in the next 
century in terms of wealth and power, it's especially if they, if they can achieve some level of unity, uh, sort of flesh out the, the nastiness of, of colonization uh, and, and get just even a, a sprinkle of some of the resources that are naturally there without the Chinese taking everything. Uh, Africa is the wealthiest country, uh, continent, excuse me, the wealthiest continent on the planet uh, particularly when it comes to all resources, including human beings. I think Africa right now has the youngest population on the earth. The Japanese population is very old. Europeans are getting older. Americans are getting older. Africans are very young. That fact alone is a, is a multi-trillion dollar wealth, uh, wealth and power play. Um, now, so, so I think that it's really important for the future for us to have some understanding of Africa and some level of respect for Africa. Because remember, Africa is so massive that there are so many different people that view you in different ways, right? So a lot of us know those African people. A lot of us. Give me a yes if you know some African people who look at African-Americans like we're dirt, right? Who just don't respect us, who tell their kids, don't marry an African-American because he's going to get he's going to get you pregnant and abandon the baby and, you know, stuff like that, right? Who are a little bit miseducated in terms of what we are. They haven't been introduced to intelligent Black people, right? And they, they, they just are, maybe they've only seen us through the lens of ratchet-ass hip-hop, right? So, so we know these people exist. But I also know that in this room right now, in this room right now, there are people watching right now from parts of Africa. There are people, when I went to Ghana, I was treated so well with so much respect, right? And, and so there's so many uh, avenues for building and connecting. And I encourage you to consider that just like any, anything else. Every white person isn't the same. Every African isn't the same. Every African-American ain't the same. There are some African-Americans that I don't want near me. If, if you, I mean, there are some people out here that are so sick, so crazy, they will shoot your son, give your daughter a disease, and, and 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 murder your whole family, right? So so just because you're African American does not mean that we're going to be on the same page. You might be really sick, and I might have to socially distance from you and love you from a distance, right? Until you heal. So so effectively, I don't think we can sort of make a blanket assessment. That's my point. However, I will say that you know we we should and can easily, without offending anybody, really respect and defend our uniqueness in the whole political conversation. Uh, that means, in my view, avoiding any temptation to allow us to be sort of blended in with this sort of like anybody who's not a white guy category. So when they start saying, well, you know, we 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 talking to they, they give these speeches, you know, a lot of people, a lot of these people from the Democratic Party, they love to give these speeches. Uh, I'm out here representing the black folk. I'm representing the trans folk. I'm representing the LGBT folk. I'm representing the you know, like, no, stop all that, man. Like, no, like, no, just. I don't I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to connect my struggle. Pay me first and then add everybody else in. Make sure I get a preference. It's just like with a corporation. When you sell stock in a company, a lot of you, a lot of you don't know this, but there's an order. There's a ranking of who gets paid uh, when uh, when when the company gets sold. Right. The, the bondholders and debt holders get paid first. The bank specifically, when they loan money, they say, put a put something, put a covenant in here that says that if the company folds or if the company sells, we get paid before everybody else. The equity holders, actually, so if you own stock, just so you know, you get what they call residual, the residual. You get what's what's left over after the, the debt holders get paid, after the bank gets paid, after the um, preferred shareholders get paid, then you get paid, right? So you're, you're kind of at the bottom of that list. So my position is that, look, um, I need us to be clear on who's going to get taken care of first. I do not believe that a person who uh, who, who decides a, a dude that is sleeping with another dude 
deserves to say, I, I'm just like a black guy. I don't, I just don't feel that way. It's my right to feel that way. I, I don't, I don't quite understand some of the trans stuff. I, I have, you know, I have empathy, you know, I can only imagine what they must feel. I think we should be compassionate about that, but that, but your struggle is not my struggle uh, or white, white women. No, I'm sorry. We're not the same. Like stop that. Right. So, but, but respect your struggle, right? Fight for your struggle, but I'm going to fight for mine because we know generally speaking, just as clear as day that there's about 13 to $15 trillion, 13 to 15 trillion that is owed to descendants of slaves. Start the conversation there. That's it. Start there. Fin deal with that issue first and then move on to the other stuff. Because when they start blending you in and diluting you, what's going to happen? Watch, mark my word. They, look at how many people are coming across the border right now. Uh, it's it's unsustainable. It's insane. It's the, 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 the mayor of New York is going crazy because they don't know where to put all these people that are coming, right? And my heart goes out to them. Whatever they're going through in Venezuela, it's it's terrible, right? But all these people are coming in and, and I mark my word, I guarantee you that they're going to get paid before you do. I guarantee you that they're going to, they, they they're already getting paid before you. They, in Chicago, there are people that are upset because they're like, wait a minute, you're you're dropping all these people into neighborhoods that you have underfunded for, for years. And now you're writing massive $50 million checks to take care of them when you wouldn't even write a $50,000 check for us. Right? So, so. We, this is the beginning, people. And what happens is that once once you're sort of drowned out in the general population, you're going to become less relevant in, in every election. They're not going to do all the cartwheels and backflips that they do. Like, you know how Kamala Harris suddenly turns black before every election when she's doing hip hop dances on, on, on YouTube or whatever, right? She does that before the election. She, so she says she smoked weed with Biggie and Pac in college, stuff like that, right? Um, well, they're going to stop doing that. They're not even going to be giving you that in about five to 10 years. They're just not. I think in 10 years, uh, it, it maybe two elections, they're probably two elections away from getting to the point where they have shifted the boat enough where they say, look, we, we don't really actually need African-American support to win elections anymore. Right. So then what are you going to do at that point? Even the little vote that you have that, you know, that you can debate whether it means something or not. It's not going to mean a whole lot. You know, and Dr. Anderson talked about this 30 years ago, actually. This is why these are people I think we should listen to, because he said in, in the early 90s, he said, when they start immigrating everybody and their mama into the country and none of these people are taking up your issues, you're taking up their issues because you, as he mentioned earlier, you're trained to serve everybody, right? So you're taking up their issues. I need, I just need you to stop for a moment and ask yourself, are you, are you going to be just as willing to take up mine? I don't, I don't see a lot of these people from Venezuela and Costa Rica or wherever coming up and showing up at the reparations rally saying African-Americans specifically should be compensated for everything that they gave this country. And, and this is also another reason why, in my view, as you start to move into a direction where your vote becomes worth less and less, your vote is declining in value, just like the dollar is. Eventually, it's going to be diluted to be worth almost nothing. Uh, what are you going to have that has value? How are you going to be able to exert any form of influence and power in this society where even your vote don't really matter no more. Well, the only solution is economics, people. The only solution, you got you to gotta go study with the Jewish community. You got to study the Jewish community. The Jewish community has been absolutely be beautifully gangster when it comes to figuring out how 2.3% of the population can have so much power that they can cancel damn near any celebrity that opposes them. Anybody says anything negative about the Jewish community will get fried and slaughtered, beaten and body slammed in public. And they do it in public 
just to let you know not to mess with them. It's 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 amazing. It's the most beautifully gangster thing in the world because then they'll say, you better not say nothing because if you say something, we're going to also label you as anti-Semitic, which means we're going to punish you even further. So if you even acknowledge that we have power, then we're going to use our power to destroy you. And then we're going to punish you further for even saying that we use our power. I mean, that's crazy. That's like, remember when your mama would, did anybody go through this? It was anybody else abused and get that beat when they were a kid. I got whoopings. I deserved all of them. I ain't going to lie. But anyway, remember when your mama would whoop you? And you start crying and you're screaming to the top of your lungs to deal with the pain. And then they say something terrible, like, like, keep crying. I'm going to give you something to cry about. And you're like, so not only are you making me cry, but now you're making me cry more because I cried. Right. That, that's terrible. Don't do that to your kids. You got to talk to your kids. You know, we don't we don't whoop our kids. Right. But that that was life in the 70s and the 80s. Right. That was just what it was. Right? It didn't destroy us. Right. But but maybe there are better ways to parent. I do believe that you don't have to whoop your kids. But still, that's what that reminds me of. It's like they're so powerful that they will punish you. <laughs> And then punish you for saying that they punished you, right? They'll use their power to hurt you and then will hurt you more if you even say that their power was used, right? So you have to act like they had no power. So it's like, well, who did that to you? I don't know. Nobody, right? So so, so my point is, how do they do this? They did this through economics. They do this by simply controlling their resources. They do this by... um you know, deciding, okay, we're going to develop industry. We're going to own banks. We're going to own movie studios. Uh, look at how many black celebrities have been uh, publicly spanked uh, by that community. Uh, the two, two that come to mind are Kanye West and Nick Cannon. Kanye West and big old bad Kanye, big old bad Nick Cannon, right? These big bad black men, you know, Nick Cannon uh, going around getting half the earth pregnant to re- re- reclaim his masculinity, telling everybody he's a, he's a big dog showing up in a Mercedes and all this other stuff because he's on all these TV shows. And, and when they came after Nick, Nick shut it down fast. Nick buffled up like a little boy real quick because he didn't want to lose whatever he had going on. Same thing with Kanye West. Kanye stood up to him. Uh, and Kanye, I told you about the conversations Kanye and I had. He called me during last year's convention. It, it, it was pleasant until it wasn't. And uh, and and my thing was, it was like, wow, this is so interesting that, you know, that that they have this amount of power to take so much away from you. I sat there and watched Goldman's, not Goldman Sachs, whatever that bank, JP Morgan, tell him, take your money out of our bank by Tuesday, or we're going to send you a cashier's check uh, for over $100 million because we don't even want your money. We're, we're, they're so powerful that we're literally sending back $100 million because we don't want any parts of who of what you're doing and what you're saying and who you are. I, so so I, I really want to see us have that level of power. I, I need us to be able to understand where that power comes from and how that works. And, uh, and that requires, at the very least, beginning by understanding the difference between real power and the perception of power. See, we think that power comes from being famous, that celebrities don't have power. I always show you guys the puppet, my puppet, the Negro naysayer, Charlie, the Negro naysayer. He's a puppet. This puppet has no power. This puppet has no free speech. This puppet does not have his own voice. This puppet only talks if I make it talk, right? Uh, so so a lot of your celebrities are just loudmouth puppets. <laughs> nigga this, nigga that, you know, like F you hoes, and I'm gonna go get high and I'm gonna smoke some Molly Percocet, right? That that's what they do. They're just a bunch of loudmouth puppets. Uh so so what you have to understand is the difference between talking to the puppet and talking to the puppet master. When I address a celebrity, I'm not talking to the celebrity because I'm like, I know what power looks like uh, because I'm a powerful man. I'm not powerful in terms of controlling the whole world. 
I'm powerful in controlling my own space. I don't have to ask for permission to talk to you. I don't have to ask for permission for anything that I do with you guys. I don't have to ask anybody's permission to do our convention, to talk about what I talk about every day when I decide I want to teach you guys something, right? So so, so my thing is like, I don't want to, it's like, it's like when, a, when somebody shows up at the door and the nine-year-old answers the door, what's the first thing they say to the nine-year-old if it's like a salesperson or uh, somebody from the electric company? What do they say? They don't, do you talk to the nine-year-old? No, you don't talk to the nine-year-old. You say, is your mother home? Are your parents home, little little boy, right? So when I see celebrities, I see puppets. And when I talk to the celebrity, some people think I'm talking to the celebrity. Like when I was talking about Lizzo, they made it me versus Lizzo. And I said, no, we're not on the same level. I'm not talking to the puppet. I want to talk to the puppet master. I don't want to talk to Lizzo. I want to talk to Lizzo's record label that writes the checks that incentivize her to go out here and embarrass Black women all around the world when that poor girl has so much talent that she could just get up there and sing. And now that she's been sort of she's sort of been kicked off the curb and 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 disrespected in her own movement, those people are not going to come save her. Right. So so my point is to say, at the end of the day, I really think that as black people, we got to know what real power looks like. You cannot get around uh, basic things like building You know, real power has to typically be built. You know, real power is like being a real parent. You could pretend to be a parent by going and adopting like a 15-year-old and then act like you actually raised that child. But then you're going to find that that child isn't really going to take to your values. They're not going to really listen to you as much. They're not going to be as connected to you as that baby that literally came out of your body that you raised since, since, they, were, since they were literally coming out of the womb. Right? Those are two different experiences. Being a babysitter is not the same as being a parent. But some people make that mistake. They think, well, if, I'm, if I babysit enough kids, that's kind of like being a mom, kind of like being a dad. No, it's not. It's not you to do to be a real mom and to be a real dad. Shout out to the real parents. How many of y'all got kids? Give me a yes if you got kids and you know what I'm talking about. Give me a yes if you understand the difference between uh, being a real parent that's in the house every day with the baby from the time they're born, feeding the baby every day, thinking about the baby 10,000 times a week, all the time, constantly wondering about the baby, checking on the baby, make sure the baby's good, right? That you can't you can't substitute for that. You can't you can't come along and say, well, I, I met the I met the little kid when they were in the 12th grade and I'm just like their mom or just like their dad. No, you're not. You're not, it's not the same thing. So what we do from, a, from an economic power standpoint is we will come along, we will get fancy jobs, high-ranking positions, very high-profile positions with these big established corporations, and literally walk around like we really got some power. You know, like, like, like I'm famous because Universal Studios made me famous last year and put me in a movie, so now I'm a celebrity, so I have real power. No, you don't. The person that has the power is the one who made you. You think you're a king? No, they're, they're not kings or queens. They're king makers. They're queen makers. So the same person that brought you in this world has the power to take you out. So, so the, the problem is that you didn't do the hard work. Let me tell you who does have power when it comes to the entertainment space. Since we're talking about that, it, it may sound weird to say this, but Tyler Perry, he's got real power. You know why? Because he created Medea. He's had Medea since Medea was, was a new idea. He developed that idea. He made those original plays. He spent his last dollar back in 2009, 2010, when he didn't get any bank financing. And he used his own money to host his little plays that only 50 people would show up at. So, so he could build the empire that he has right now. He's got entertainment power. There are other people that have power too. A lot of you have power. If you've been pouring into your little business, starting with your little baby business and, and pouring into it every day, you've got more power than some of these celebrities. And, and so so effectively, 
we're going to have to do the hard work for power. Like the, like, like the, like power does not come from a black man who finds some way to own 2% of an NFL team that you're still, you got 2% of the, of the, you know, of the Dallas Cowboys or something, who cares? They know the the power comes from the people who were buying NFL teams when they cost $10,000 a piece when the league was nothing, when nobody cared about the NFL, those are the families that have the real power. The Hallis family in Chicago has real power in the NFL because they bought the Chicago Bears when they were $100, and now the Bears are worth about $5 bucks. You got to put in the work. There's no substitute for time. But in order for you to have the real power, you got to be willing to sacrifice and, and pay, play the long game. So, so, so effectively, but here's the beauty of it though. Here's the beauty of the process. If you play the long game and you stop buying into shiny little temptations that are all around you and you're pouring into something that is yours, that you create and you originate and you put maximum effort into it and it becomes successful, then you'll experience a level of freedom and power that a lot of people don't have. I can't tell you how wonderful it feels every day as a black man to get up and do whatever the hell I want to do. I don't have to make, I could go the whole, I could go, uh, I could go a whole month and not make a single phone call, not take a single phone call and not take a single order or command from anyone other than maybe my wife and kids. Uh, and, 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 and I, I would be just fine. That's pretty powerful. It doesn't mean I have to control the world, but I do control my world. Right. So I want you to make sure your kids understand that difference between power and the perception of power, because you have a lot of those. We've talked about the shiny Negroes, the, the shiny people that are on TV. And we think somebody's powerful because they're on TV or because their song is on the radio. And these people, they, they have no power at all. So so I, I, I would argue that the best way for us to really have some influence and say in this society uh, in the next generation, when your vote has been diluted to basically nothing, and the whole country is just sort of full of all these people that come across the border. I mean, they're, if they're sending 50,000 people a day across the border, some crazy number like that, it's it, it's only a matter of time before it becomes in the, you know, high, in the high millions, right? Because there, there are not <laughs> 50,000 African-Americans coming across the border every day, right? So, so, so when that day happens, I think that by understanding economics, how to make business deals, how to buy property, how to position yourself for power, how to start family businesses, things like that, that's what's going to be your play. That's what's going to get you there. Voting doesn't really do a whole lot. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter, though. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. I will never, ever tell you not to vote. Some of you believe deeply in voting, and I support that 100%. If you don't believe in it, I support that, too. I support you being free. Uh, so I think that this is the play. It's economics. That's the key. All right, so let me keep going here. The term African-American. Uh, okay, we already talked about that. Um so Dr. Anderson says here on page 28 of the Black History Reader, you can get a copy of Powernomics.com. He says, uh, Black exceptionality is a fundamental key to unlock the doors leading to group self-empowerment, recognition, respect, and appreciation for their contributions to the socioeconomic development of this nation to which they are entitled as special people. They must distinguish themselves by claiming their exceptionality as Black Americans. Just as, Okay, we already talked about that, actually. Let me skip forward. I apologize for that. Um. Okay, consequently, African Blacks who visit or migrate to the United States sense that they are different from Native Blacks. Has anybody ever noticed that? That sometimes people come from other countries, they look at us as like we're, like we're foreign, like we're different. Uh, and they tend to express a degree of superiority over the descendants of slaves. They are different. They came here voluntarily. They have homelands and relatives in Africa with whom they identify and communicate, and they have a place to return uh, whenever they choose to do so. 
Americans recognize the difference also and accord greater respect to African visitors and dignitaries than to native blacks. Hence, that's why now this is not Africa. This is Haiti. But this is one of the reasons why, in my view, that that president of Harvard um, is not African-American. I believe if she were African-American woman married to a black man, she would not have that job. That's what I truly believe. I'm sorry. You know, but show prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Show me where Harvard is promoting tons and tons of African-Americans. And I'll tell you, I'll call you a liar right to your face because they're not doing that. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, in fact, if it, it, it was not unusual prior to the civil rights movement of the 1960s, for some Black Americans to dress in African garb and pretend to be African visitors or dignitaries just to garner greater respect from white Americans. Using unspecific terms like African-American obscures the unique history of Blacks in America and can have harmful effects similar to what happens when the terms minority, people of color, or poor people are used instead of Black. A lawsuit filed by a Pakistani who applied for the, for the African-American Banneker Scholarship at the University of Maryland in the 1990s demonstrates the folly of imprecise language. The university denied him a scholarship because recipients had to be African-American. The Pakistani student filed a lawsuit charging the university with discrimination. The student's case was based on a very simple but reasonable explanation. The Pakistani student said he had lived in Africa before migrating to the United States and considered himself African. Now that he lives in America, he is an African-American. The Maryland Supreme Court agreed and ruled in the student's favor, awarding him $150,000. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? Um, the message to Native Blacks is a caution. In circumstances where a race label is necessary, do not permit the use of broad and ambiguous terms to define you. The school did not meet its goal of providing scholarships for the purpose of, for the specific purpose of attracting Black students. The school's needs were specific, but the term African-American was not. It expanded the target group in an imprecise way. Had the school used the term Black, the Banneker Scholarship Fund would have had an additional $150,000 to distribute toward worthy Black applicants. The distinction between Black and African American is important. In fact, I would go further to say Black American, because a lot of times people will use the word Black and describe any Black person from anywhere on the earth. So I think Black American actually is, is probably the most appropriate, right? Blacks came here as Africans, but what they experienced in this country made them different. They were stripped of everything, their culture, language, religion, the right to benefit from their own labor. They were not acknowledged as human and were denied the expression of natural human longings. They could not love, protect, or plan for their families. Think about this for hundreds of years. I mean, isn't that crazy? Isn't that deep, right? That part of the reason, think about how, how, how so many of us will die and not plan for our families or not have any plan for our family. But when you think about the fact that we had hundreds of years where family planning was, had, was no part in our culture, somebody else was doing all that for us, then why why does it surprise us when we sit around and think white people are going to sort of do everything right? This is this is culture. This goes back. I mean, I don't I, I don't imagine a lot of slaves buying things like life insurance and things like that. That's kind of deep. All right. So uh, let's see. They were not acknowledged as human and were denied the expression of natural human longings. They could not love, protect or plan for their families. Blacks endured these experiences all the while their labor drove the economic engine that built this nation. Withstanding and surviving these experiences became the badge of courage that distinguishes Native Blacks from any other group in America. 
These experiences signify this country's indebtedness to them. There may be a difference in the terms and historical experiences, but the two groups are genetically linked. It is imperative, therefore, that native Black Americans support and recognize Africa, the birthplace of mankind, and strive to protect its people and material resources from further abuse and exploitation by foreign entities. Okay, so so Dr. Anderson um, ends with something that uh, I think it, uh, it opens that door for us to have that meaningful connection with Africa, right? I don't think anybody in here is anti-African. Um, I'm not anti you if you're not anti me. So if you are African, you are welcome to come in here because uh, I welcome you to understand our history as much as you hopefully will welcome me to understand yours. Uh, in fact, I think that one thing that will be fun to do is one day go and Google and have it or use ChatGPT if you want to and list all the African countries and their populations. And you will be stunned by how many countries that you barely, if ever, probably maybe never heard of in Africa that have tens of millions of people. It is absolutely insane. So uh, this this is part of your power base. I think reconnecting to Africa is something that's going to really be beneficial for us. Um, I don't think we should let that go. And I want to make it 100% abundantly clear. Give me a yes if you understand. Let's all agree on this. Give me a yes that we are not sitting here trying to be anti-African, anti-nobody. And I don't want to, I don't even want to be anti-white because I don't even think, I think that's a waste of time being anti. I'm not anti-nothing. I'm anti, only thing I'm anti is I'm anti-oppression. Um, I'm anti, um, I'm anti uh, censorship. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm also anti whatever the energy is that you, that's keeping you from giving us our check, from writing our reparations check. I'm anti that too. I'm anti you not paying us. So, so, but outside of that, I'm not anti anybody because I don't think that that's a, a viable solution. Sitting around complaining and being mad about other people is never ever going to solve your problem. Again, I'm a mathematician. That's my background. Uh, I've never ever run into a math problem that I could solve by whining about it, right? crying about the problem, being mad about the problem, kicking the chalkboard, cussing somebody out that never, ever solved the math problem for me. I had to calm down. This is what you learned when you, a lot of people get, are intimidated by things like word problems. What I learned is that when you run into like a really tough problem, what you do is you sit down, you calm down, you meditate and you focus and you focus on solving the problem. That's how you get the best solution. So here in this space, I want us to be as solution oriented as we can be because the solutions are out there. But once you see the solution, you have to have the courage to go for the solution. And then you have to build the culture and the habits around consistent implementation of the solution. Because some solutions like the wealth solution is a straightforward solution. If all of our families are 30% wealthier in the next generation than we are right now, that is a massive part of the solution. That is not just a massive part of the solution. It is easy as hell to implement. It is as easy as going down a straight road. The hard part is that the road might be 50 miles, 100 miles long. So in order to go down a straight road that is 50, 100 miles long, you got to focus and take one step after the other and realize you're not going to go down that road with one big long stride, but you have to form a habit of going north, going in that direction and walking consistently and knowing that you will get there. So the good news is that it's easy. The good news is that the solutions are out there. The Black Business School, I'm so proud of the fact that we know what the solution is. The Black wealth gap, racial wealth gap, that is not a puzzle for us. None of the scientists that are in our school, Dr. Lene Javet, Julian Gordon, my wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins, et cetera, Constance Carter, none of our people are confused about how to solve the racial wealth gap. It's easy to solve. The thing that has to happen now is we have to have the discipline and courage and consistency to implement the solution because wealth is an accumulation process. It doesn't happen quickly. It's not fast money. It's slow money. It's not easy peasy jump to the top. 
it's a long building process. But if you implement that in your culture, if you just sort of stir it in there and make that part of your daily, weekly, monthly habit with your family, then I guarantee you a lot of these problems actually do go away. So they are solvable. That's the good news, right? That's a good thing. Okay. So uh, by the way, so next week, uh, Dr. Anderson has the chat uh, section 10, question 10, and you can go buy his book at poweronomics.com, the black history reader. I encourage you to get them all. I hope we will support this man. We got to We got to support him. We got to love him. This, this guy is the greatest thinker in our generation. He's the modern Marcus Garvey. And I love him for that. Uh, but his uh, next question is interesting. He says, what is racism? And can a black person be a racist? Now, since I'm about to lose my voice, um, I'm gonna go and uh, and shut down for tonight, but that's what we're gonna that's where we're gonna start next week at page 31. So I hope you guys will come in and join us. Until that time, if you're in the book club, by the way, which is a free service that the Black Business School does for everybody, you can bring your whole family, bring everybody. Some of you are bringing your kids and all that. Bring them all. Bring everybody. Each one, teach one. We got to do that, right? Um, uh, but also in the meantime. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's, it's, it's basically a life class I put together. There's a ton of material you can go through. Again, doesn't cost you a penny to be in there. So log into the Black Business School and take a look. Also, if you want to get a copy of my book, it's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. If you go to drboycebooks.com, uh, again, we, you, uh, we're you we asking if you have extra money, buy, buy 10 or something and just give them away to other people. Maybe start your own book clubs, whatever. Like, Let us support you in any way. Uh, if you look up each one, teach one, uh, a, a bulk of 10, it, the discount's massive. We take over $100 off or something like that. And so you can buy a bulk of 10. You can either give them away or resell them, make some money, whatever you want to do. It's totally up to you. It's a great book. Everyone loves it. And also uh, another reminder, two more things I want to remind you guys of before we go. One is, uh, don't forget the All Black National Convention is in Atlanta, October 20th through the 22nd. Uh, if you want to learn more, you can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. That's the one time a year where intelligent Black people, where we get together and we see each other, we hang out together. We talk. We do things together. I'm going to be there. My wife will be there. Lots of other great people will be there. Lots of thinkers will be there. Lots of cool people, fun people will be there. We're going to have a blast. It's not just uh, serious, but it's also a lot of fun, too. So you can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. We have a few vendor tables left. So if you have a business, uh, there are people there that are, that are prepared to buy black. Uh, a lot of people go there and they might spend uh, 800 bucks for a vendor table, but some of them make thousands and thousands of dollars. So if you have a business, uh, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com. There's a link there for that. Also, uh, the we have dis, a discount deal with the Marriott Hotel that we arranged, and so you can get a discount on your hotel room. Those discounts are only available until the 6th, though, so you have 48 hours to lock in your hotel room discount. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, one more thing. Oh, don't forget this, too. Um, eventually, again, because I told you guys we had the whole issue with Facebook and Instagram, uh, we, we we started a social media platform. It's called Black Enough. We're going to rebrand it as B1 Nation, though, actually. But uh, Black Enough is spelled, uh, you can go there right now and join B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F. That's B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com. And uh, there are three questions you have to answer because we can't let everybody in. We don't want spammers. We don't want Negro naysayers. We don't want crazy people. We want people there that want solutions, that want to do better. And so uh, the other thing, too, is I'm going to start hosting the book club meetings inside the platform uh, in the next couple of weeks. So you want to go ahead and get in there so that way we can just sort of connect that way and uh, and do the next meeting. Okay, guys. So so thank you for letting me get that out. I appreciate it. I really enjoy seeing you. I hope this conversation was beneficial to you. I had a blast. And now let me go take a shower. I was up in here sweating. Maybe I maybe in my previous life I was a preacher or something, but I can't. I, I'm not as good as the preachers. Some of those preachers are the best speakers I've ever seen. I just, but I'm I'm gonna do my best for y'all. All right. Anyway, take care. Love you. I'll see you later. Have a good night. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.